0: The Spiritual Brew Pub Podcast will help you navigate spiritually after or during a belief shift, deconstruction, or crisis of faith. Not to try to convert you to a particular destination, but give you the resources you need to evaluate your future belief or unbelief, and help you follow the religious historical evidence wherever it leads. I'm your host, Michael Camp a recovering conservative evangelical, the operative word being recovering, sharing my journey and helping others rebuild faith or a reasoned philosophy of life. So grab your brew of choice and learn how fact-based history helps us both critique and rethink faith. Why do we call it a brew pub? Because we like to hang out in them, at least metaphorically. A pub is a great place to let your hair down Share your true thoughts about your journey, and discuss things with an open mind in a non-judgmental environment. Welcome, everyone, to the Spiritual Brew Pub. I'm your host, Michael Camp, and today we have someone much smarter than I as a guest (laughs) on the podcast. Jennifer Grace Bird is a professor and an author, and uh, she has a PhD in New Testament and Early Christianity. From Vanderbilt University, among other educational qualifications. <laughs> Jennifer, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you, Michael. It's just a pleasure to be here.
0: I'm glad you could join us today. Uh, I'm excited because I love your passion for mm. what you teach. Um, you've taught religion, theology, biblical studies, and women women and gender studies. Yes, uh, places like Greensboro College, University of Portland, Oregon, mm. yeah. and Hollins University. Um, so, but what stands out to me, and one reason I wanted to have you on the on the uh, podcast, uh, is that you invite others to think honestly about the role that the Christian Bible plays in the world, and you encourage people to think for themselves about what is and what is not in the Bible. So, I think that's very needed today mm-hmm. because I'm um, sure, sh- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's why you do it. That is it. Uh, Right, because I'm sure in both of our experiences, we used to, you know, at least I used to be, you know, I don't, who am I to question the Bible when I first came into the church? It's just like, oh, okay, you just agree with everything that that is said about it. So, um, but uh, other people really don't think, sometimes don't think for themselves when it comes to the Bible. They just follow their church's statement of faith or doctrines, Mm -hmm. and they don't allow themselves permission Mm -hmm. to ask the questions that may be gnawing at them. So, we're going to talk about two of your books. For one of them's been published for a while, and that one's called "I love the title." Thank Permission you. granted. Take the Bible into your own hands. And then a new book coming out later this year called "Marriage in the Bible: What Do the Texts Say?" Yes. So we're going to get into that. And before we do, though, I want to start with your story. Uh, what's your religious background that led you to get into this field and, you know, be a, become a teacher of the Bible and ancient sacred literature?
1: Yeah. Well, I actually grew up in a Methodist family. So I grew mm-hmm. up in a you know, Christian home and a very active family in our church. That was our main community. And when I was a, a teenager, high school, I kind of got involved in a very... Um, in, a, in an evangelical organization. Um, I was a uh, young life, I guess it's okay to young say. Young life, things. right? Yeah, with that. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah I yep. was involved in high school and then I was a volunteer all through college and on staff for two years afterwards. So I was very engaged in a much more, almost a fundamentalist way of reading the Bible. And um, it was very exciting because it's, it's very charismatic kind of an organization and very energetic. And I liked that. And but And I also started reading the Bible differently than my faith tradition previously had taught me to. So I was reading much more literally in general, not across the board. But um, And, you know, what had previously been okay in my life was no longer such as having women in leadership. I had, fem- oh, right. I had female pastors growing up uh, in yeah. the Methodist church. Right. And all of a sudden I'm reading, you know, First Timothy 2 that says you can't do that. And so I'm like, okay, you know. Right, this is wrong somehow, and yet I have these really strong women in my life, including my mother, who are becoming ordained, and I don't know what to do with it because I believed at that point, right, that scripture, scripture dictates how we live, not you dictate, Not this engagement with scripture, you know, like experiences and tradition Mm -hmm. and history, but scripture comes first. And so I was memorizing scripture, as I'm sure you did, Michael, you know, um, memorizing it. This is what rules the day for me. Right. Um, And then I had someone show me how reading the Greek, learning and understanding the Greek could lead to. a different understanding of a particular story. And they showed me using the Mary and Martha story. And it was in such a way that it just dramatically shifted my connection to scripture, because someone showed me a way of engaging the original stories as close as we have, that that gave an all like a radically different meaning to the story and it just kind of opened up my whole world i was like wait a minute if this thing that's attributed to jesus that i have held on to can be so dramatically shifted by looking at what the greek is saying what else is out there for reconsideration like what else am i missing
0: right right
1: so that's what sent me to seminary
0: i could see how that would kind of turn (laughs) you on I, i i got i did the same kind of a thing you know you understand that you know, like you're reading your English translations, yeah, and then you realize that, oh, you know, actually, some of these translations are disputed, right? Right. They don't all say, "Yep, that's exactly what it means," and that's exactly what it says, and right. And so then you realize how important it is to go back to the original Greek as far back as you can go, because we don't have the originals, and find out what it really says and also in the context of the culture of that day what it what it means yeah so i oh that's 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 great because i i have uh that same experience um
1: did you uh, yeah
0: i mean and and once you get into it uh it just opens up a whole new world um it does so you know um when you look at the Bible, you just described it a way, you know, that you've, you learned in young life. And I know I learned that in the evangelical churches that I went to, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it's the be end, end all and mm-hmm. it's, you know, it says it, it God, that means God said it and we have to believe it and yeah. you can't really question it. So, right. but if you were going to make the argument that that's really not the best way to approach the Bible what would it be? Like, what are the main reasons you think it's untenable to view the Bible as this perfect, altogether accurate word of God?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Second Timothy 3.16 says it, right? All scriptures, right. God breathed, yeah, right? right. Um, and, and I actually addressed that particular verse um, in a section in the book, in Permission Granted, because it is so central to the way so many people do read and think about the whole Bible. But what I think you know for me what it somewhat boils down to is if we think of the bible as inerrant and perfect in every way we're really putting it on the same level as god itself as god self, right. right um without being conscious of that so we're we're doing that even though we're not really aware but we're we're defending the bible that as being perfect in the same way that god is perfect mm-hmm. And for me, at least, it affects what I what I expect to see in when I read the Bible, and it affects what I allow myself to consider in relation mm-hmm. to the Bible. So, mm-hmm. you know, when I think of, as you said, if I, you know, when I believed that it was all dictated by God to to a bunch of humans, right? That that they were mm-hmm. in a sense channeling right yeah, what right. god wanted them to write that's how right. i really genuinely believed it um you know that meant that i did i had to just trust everything that's going on in there and that the bible speaks to itself you know the newer testament writings can speak to things you know a thousand years older than it in a very mystical beautiful kind of a a way and so that keeps that kept me from considering the human influence in the writings and it right. kept me from considering you know the the you know the situations out of which these things were written um it kept me from being honest about what the bible actually is and is not that's kind of the what i boil Mm -hmm. it down to i think Mm -hmm. for myself uh Mm -hmm. and talking with others and and in particular as you said so nicely michael it i think it keeps us from asking questions or even from you know I mean, I saw someone post on Twitter this last week. He said, I'm feeling really vulnerable, but I need to say that I don't like that Jesus let Lazarus die so that he could make a point.
2: Yeah. (laughs) And I
1: said, actually, I don't think you should need to feel vulnerable for being honest about the fact that that seems kind of lousy.
2: (laughs) Right, right.
1: And so for him, as for so many, it was we can't challenge what we find in the Bible because it's it's perfect and un, you know no it actually isn't perfect. It tells us more about what the people were doing and thinking and eating than anything else right and right so yeah
0: yeah, yeah. so yeah I mean one of the things that we discover uh, when we give ourselves permission
1: right
2: <laughs>
0: is just exactly that that there is uh, some theres some big problems uh, in the Bible um, contradictions. There's also very many beautiful, inspirational stories. So we've got this mix. And so how do you deal with it? Now, the traditional way of dealing with it and the conservative Christian way of dealing with it is just try to harmonize everything. Right. Everything has to be (laughs) harmonized. So that's not really a contradiction or that's really you're just misinterpreting or you know, the, the, the great one that fall back on God's thoughts are not our thoughts. Exactly. God's ways are higher than ours. (laughs) So we just, we have to just accept it. Right. Yeah. So, you know, you got that problem when you, when you, you know, we'll talk about it, but you know, you get into the violence and all the stuff and and some of the ugly parts of the uh, Old Testament. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, there's another thing that's going on and that's uh, that there are translations in the bible that i've discovered that are biased mm. and you know you <laughs> you go back and you look at the original greek and you go wait a minute that's not a good translation you know yeah and so i was wondering if you could just share some examples from your experience of biased translations <laughs> in I, the bible
1: yeah i'd be happy to and what's interesting is actually sometimes what's more impactful are the headings that the translation committees come up with that essentially direct our uh, our thoughts before we even get into the passage. So for instance, there are two that, that stand out for me. One is if you look at Genesis three, and if it has a heading, it will likely say something about original sin or man's sinfulness or fall or disobedience or some sort of leading description like that, right? Well, I don't read Genesis 3 as being about disobedience or original sin or even something horrific. I I read it as a rabbi taught me to read it, which is this is a story that helps to explain a differentiation between humans and other mammals. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: one of the things about us is that we do have a conscience and that is problematic some days. It's a bummer to have a conscience some days, but it's also really helpful and important. Um. So, you know, the history of the tradition of the Christian church that has taught so many people to think of Genesis 2 and 3 as being about humans being bad and disobedient and sinful, that in and of itself is so heavily laden, so theologically driven, and yet it isn't really what the story is talking about. So for me, that label... And I have students, I will walk students through a different way of reading Genesis 2 and 3 than that. And it's just so deeply ingrained in them because it's what they've always heard since, for so many of them, right? They've just grown up with it. This is about original sin. This is about humans being disobedient. And I don't think it is. Um, I think there are many things, and, you know, you alluded to it in some of our exchanges one of the most powerful things for me, and this is kind of jumping ahead, but it came up prior to writing my second, my third book, um, is when I realized that the in both the Hebrew in the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible, and in the Greek in the Newer Testament, there aren't separate nouns for wife instead of woman, right. or for husband instead of man, right. and there isn't in the Hebrew Bible there isn't a verb to marry. Um, and so any of the language that we have in the Hebrew Bible that says, talks about marrying, that should be removed. In my opinion, mm, it should be mm-hmm, taking, mm-hmm. Um, it should be dwelling with, whatever mm-hmm. the verb is, right. instead of changing it in light of our co- our current context and presuppositions right. about this relationship.
2: Right.
1: Uh, we should remove all verbs of marry. We should remove all labels of husband and wife because our current understandings of those relationships are different from theirs. That's right. And then the other really powerful one I want to mention before we move on is in chapter in First Corinthians chapter seven, the heading for that chapter almost always, not all I, I I think there might be one or two out of the 50 English translations I consulted that didn't say something about marriage. But people usually have a heading that says this is advice about marriage or, you know, like, Mm -hmm. no, no, it's not. It's advice about whether or not you should marry or if you are married, whether or not you should engage in sex. That is the boiled down Mm -hmm. what that chapter is about. And it is advice about these things from a man who claims to have never had sex. Mm -hmm. So it's not about, you know, like, you know, ask five of your friends. Uh, married couple friends, Uh, five couples, what what's the top advice you would give someone about marriage and sex will probably be in there, but it's not the only thing. Right, right. And that is all that chapter is doing is talking about sex and whether or not engaging in it is a problem.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, that is so misleading.
0: <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Right. No, I I the 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 headings is really huge because like you said, I mean, those weren't in the original.
1: Exactly.
0: <laughs> you're adding something to the Bible. Actually the the verses and the and Exactly. The, the chapter divisions aren't there either. So right. So you're 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 and and this is what happens. I mean, right? I mean, you have people who Start with some presuppositions because they already have a theology. Exactly. And then they read that theology into the Bible passage rather than take derive something fresh from the Bible passage and let the chips fall where they may.
1: Exactly. Is that
0: what's happening?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. People's right. presuppositions. When I show students in Genesis 2:24, where you know it's talking about the first human that's created and then God takes some stuff out of its side and makes a second. And therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his woman. Mm -hmm. And almost without fail, people's jaws drop. What do you mean? He clings to his wife. I'm like, no, he doesn't. He doesn't get married. And it's like, (laughs) what? (laughs) There's no marrying happening in there, folks. But you've been taught that because it implies they have sex next and you can't have sex before marriage. Right.
0: Yes. So right. 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 Powerful.
1: So yeah, powerful. Right.
0: Yeah. 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 And so there's the other the argument about, you know, how do you translate? There's the dynamic equivalent right? theory, which right. I think in many cases is good, but in some cases it's probably not good. <laughs> like right. you just gave a good example of that. Just assuming that, well, that means marriage to us without realizing that we're bringing now. We're bringing all this baggage into what we think marriage is that wasn't there when these people were writing this text.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So
0: that's very important. But and
1: I'm um, oh, sorry. I know you. It's I know you probably want to move on, but I, you know I also am struck by certain points in scriptures where the English translators, because I only read really in English or look at the original languages will tone down the intensity when it's, when it's scary, or they mm-hmm. will tone down, you know, like in first Peter three, when it's talking to women and it's saying, you know, your daughters of Sarah, if you do what is good. And my translation is, and I'm not frightened by terrifying things. Well, every single English translation tones that down so that, you know, that you're not scared of terrifying like i don't even know but every it's like the dynamic equivalent that you refer to like people tend to want to make it nicer want to make it right. more palatable right not just misleading at times but like yeah. oh well that was that was back then and they had extreme they needed extreme language we don't need extreme language so let's tone this down yeah so there's this disconnect we're Sanitize not it. Yeah. yeah we're not realizing that we're getting these ideas from very extreme positions and ideas and that that thing about the scriptures, that's important for us to pay attention to instead of sweep under the rug and pretend isn't there. Right. It seems right. to me.
0: I just thought of a question that I should have asked you before, but okay. do you do you refer to Ann Nyland's New Testament, the source New Testament?
1: I am not familiar with it yet.
0: Oh, you should check it out. Okay. Um, Ann Nyland. Greek, uh, I think she's called a lexographer. Okay. Um, And she wrote a translation of the New Testament. It's called the Source New Testament. Okay. And it's got these great notes. It just explains so many things about, you know, some of the things we're talking about, you know, like (laughs) what's the culture of the day? What. You know this this is actually the reason why it says this is because this is the way they thought about this this thing and yeah and uh it, it clears up a whole whole bunch of things
1: sounds really valuable yeah, yeah. sounds like a very yeah. valuable resource
0: so um another uh thing i wanted to address was um you know when we when you learn to look at the bible this way you realize that you know there's actually a lot of myths in the bible now mm-hmm. that's not that's a dirty word for <laughs> evangelical christians a myth. it is it right. is it's it scary. shouldn't be a myth mm-hmm. i mean it shouldn't be a dirty word because <sighs> myths are uh are all in ancient literature there's all kinds of creation myths there's all these things and myths are are useful to um explain how something happened but they're not they they shouldn't be uh taken absolutely literally because they're using all kinds of language and uh, metaphors and all kinds of things that really we know can't be true. There is no such thing as a talking snake, you know, I mean, whatever, (laughs) Mm -hmm. whatever example you could give. So Mm -hmm. why is it not disrespectful to the Bible to call Mm -hmm. some stories myths?
1: Right. So one of the reasons... As again, as you so nicely noted, one of the reasons people think that it is disrespectful is because of an understanding of this term myth that is not fully um, filled out, right? When people tend to hear the word myth today, they think of something that's a lie, that's not true, you're just, Mm -hmm. you're just a fairy tale, kind of putting it on those levels. And, and I also think about Um, you know, prior to my graduate school training, I thought of something like the Greek myths, the Greek and Roman myths. Mm -hmm. and, And I thought of those stories as on par with fairy tales. And that's just those ancient people and their ideas of how the world works. But that's different from the way my traditions, stories about God and humanity are. My tradition stories about God and humanity are real and true. Theirs are just a bunch of stories. And mm-hmm. I I made that yeah, dis- distinction, right, right. right?
2: Yeah.
1: And I I will not forget the day I went to Athens as a kind of gave myself a little present for finishing graduate school. And I stood there and looked at the remains of a temple to Zeus. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, you don't build a temple like this to a figment of your imagination. You mm-hmm. believe that Zeus is real. hmm in the same way that I believed that Jesus and God were real.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it just, you know, so it, it just shifted something dramatically for me about what we associate with that word myth. And so when we look at an academic understanding of the word myth, these are stories that people came up with, inspired or not, however you want to understand that. They're trying to give their children a story to explain why the rainbow comes up in the sky after right. it rains. They're right. trying to explain, you mm-hmm. know, that snakes are bizarre. Like, how is it that they do that? How do they move? Like that is that is wild.
2: <laughs> right, right.
1: Where did that come from? How did that happen? We have a story that tries to give some sort of explanation. And or we have stories that explain why we do this particular cultural practice. Academically speaking, technically speaking, those are myths. And that's not a bad thing. It's not a challenge to your faith. No one's trying to be deceptive. These are stories that people came up with. And so the hang up is really our own misunderstanding of the word myth. Right. And again, Michael, I'm sure you can appreciate this. I walk through all of this with my students in Hebrew Bible intros, mm-hmm. and many of them are like, "Oh gosh, that's so helpful," and it actually frees me up a little bit.
0: Yeah, right. But right.
1: but some of the conservative, you know, very evangelical conservatives are just holding on, and it's they're still offended. They're by struggling it. with it. Yeah, they're very. Right. Of, yeah, and mm-hmm. I get it. Right. It took me some yeah. time to yeah. work it all out. Yeah. Right.
0: You're programmed to think that way. Totally,
1: and, and, yeah. <laughs> and it, you don't change your thinking overnight, no, especially you, when it's so deeply connected. Right. right? But
0: I think. One of the distinctions that people need to m- learn to make and and conservatives typically can't make this distinction is between what's the difference between like reading some story about talking snakes or mm-hmm. whatever, walking on, uh, you know, wa- uh, the, going across the Red Sea <laughs> or something and doubting those were real right but maybe saying okay we can get some lessons from this but i don't think that's literally what happened and then everyone's fre- freaking out like oh you don't believe the bible you're a terrible person right and then the distinction between that and just you know looking at some of the moral teaching in the bible jesus for example who i think was a spiritual genius when he came to when he came to talking about you know how should we live our life mm-hmm. right and 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 just saying okay yeah That touches me. I can understand that. This is a radical, you know, perspective. Love your enemies. Love, you know, the law of Moses can can just be boiled down to the golden rule. Just treat others kindly the way you'd like to be treated. And God's okay, (laughs) Right. Right? But so so you can't. But people have to have the whole thing. They can't. You have to believe everything is literally true you can't differentiate between those kinds of things. I mean, right. that's that's a that's a huge issue. I mean, uh so how do you what how do you, you like you make the bible like okay, let's see what it really says but at the same time have a respect for it that yeah, we yeah. can learn something from this.
1: Right. No, you're hitting on such important things and actually I've just wrapped up a I an online course uh, on the Hebrew Bible, intro to the Hebrew Bible. And I had these very conservative students who were, tr- were okay with the content we're talking about all term. And then in the final, I asked them to respond to the fact that there are contradictions in those first two creation stories. And he's like, well, they're not, you know, so like he was yeah. okay all term yes. and then he's like, no, 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 no. I'm going to, as you said, Michael, he just harmonized everything mm-hmm. instead of being able to take a step back and say, No, no. The first step for me coming out of this was to acknowledge that they do, if we read them historically, they do contradict each other. So let's acknowledge that. And Mm. then, and that takes some time and then move on to, but that doesn't have to destroy your faith. We can have a different engagement, a different way of thinking about what these scriptures are doing, which is addressing two different sets of ideas or two different needs or two different descriptions about you know the created world given this context of the first two creation stories or you know looking at the gospels in the newer testament and seeing that they there actually are a couple contradictions like mm, in the synoptics jesus eats the passover meal (laughs) in john's gospel he's dead before the passover meal that's an outright contradiction. Oh, yeah,
0: yeah, that's a great example, yeah. Right, so and, let's
1: acknowledge that yeah, first. And, I,
0: and it's a, There's a simple explanation for it, but people right. don't wanna go there.
1: Exactly.
0: John is probably right, and Matthew, Mark, and Luke are probably wrong. I mean, you could argue that. You could say that, you know, because it makes more sense that, he was crucified before the Passover because otherwise the, this is what some historians say, because otherwise the the Jewish people wouldn't have had a trial at night, you know, the (laughs) the Passover, you know, right. They, they wouldn't have been working on that day. So you could, you could just make the argument. Yeah. Let's choose which one is more most likely true and leave it at that. But no one, no one can do that. They have to harmonize everything. So, but, but that's just not being in my mind being respectful to the bible. Exactly. You're actually being disrespectful to it. I think, to so, it. Too. I think yeah. so too.
1: You're right. when you harmonize instead of let them say what they're saying. Just
0: say what they're because saying. They're trying the to tell you where something. they are and say, yeah. "Hey, you know what? Some people got it wrong."
1: <laughs> or but also, also that whole thing about right and wrong doesn't actually need to be a part of the a part of the picture, right? Mm-hmm. Back to mm-hmm. what you were saying, Michael. The synoptics are doing a particular thing. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are saying are doing something that is different than what John is doing. Mm-hmm. Let's let them all do their thing instead of saying one is right and one is wrong. What mm-hmm. is it communicating that he was right. there for the Passover meal in these gospels and that something else happened? Yada yada. What right. is John doing? Which is, I happen to think John is the one who is messing with any kind of factual yeah. data, but right. Because it's so theological, it's not. You know, he's is so different, and it's. But you know, l- let's let John do his thing and say what it's saying, and it's different. And let's acknowledge that they're different instead of trying to say, but they're all saying the same thing at the end of the day, right? Because right. they're not, right? <laughs> yep, absolutely.
0: So, I mean, for me, the big, the biggest contradiction is the violence of, let's say, mm. the Book of Joshua, mm-hmm. Numbers twenty-five. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's a there's a Mm -hmm. thread of what I call violent sacrificial religion, Mm -hmm. right? God, Mm -hmm. you know, something goes wrong. Someone's disobedient. Someone's a a heretic. Someone's a pagan that, that, that are idolaters. We have to kill, literally kill them Mm -hmm. literally, you know, Mm -hmm. have capital punishment and kill them. And there's tons of examples in this, in this Mm -hmm. war, the Canaanite conquest and everything. So, and, and then, and then, you know, compare that to the love ethic of, of Christ is, it's just like night and day. So, (laughs) so, I mean, you know, uh, to me, that one is so blatant, but people still can't get over that. I mean, it's just amazing. I mean, Mm. is, you know, how do you, how, how have you explained that Huge contradiction to your students.
1: (laughs) Well, it's interesting the way you put that because I actually also try to push people to look a little closer at the love ethic that you've Mm -hmm. just referenced. And most of that comes from John. Mm -hmm. And I actually have a bit of an issue with the Gospel of John because it's so dualistic, Mm -hmm. um, which is not helpful for adults, right? Dualisms are very helpful for children but once we grow to maturity we need we need to have we need to have some wiggle room for ethical
2: yes.
1: engagements and right. and so but also if you look at you know John 316 no no keep reading through 18 right? Mm-hmm. Because it makes it very clear that if you're not on the right side, God's wrath is going to be poured out all over you. Thank you very much. And so even the love ethic in the Newer Testament is mm-hmm. laden with, is immersed in a somewhat vengeful, violent framework mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, wrath. there is
0: some of that. Mm-hmm. So
1: so that's actually how I go about it. Is I talk about the God of the Hebrew Bible and the God of the Newer Testament as both having some love and both having some pretty intense... A- a- violence or vengeance I mean right hand and left hand if you're on the right hand things are great if you're not you're you're doomed to hell and de- like and f- suffering right. forever like no actually that's I'm not okay with that that's yeah that's that's a scare right. tactic right to, yeah, to, it, to it get is. people to conform yeah. and then but then more specifically to your question about the violence in the Hebrew Bible you know, I do. I think when we look at the context and we look at the people, I think there's a there's a bigger conversation to have there about this is a small group of people who are trying to stake some claim, want to actually have their own land or be able to establish themselves as a nation. and they're having to contend with all these all these stronger forces coming in or coming through the region and conquering them, you know, generation after generation. And so there is a lot of violence. And so they, they depict their God as more powerful, therefore more violent and more vengeful and more, you know, victorious. Yeah. This God is a warrior God who will deliver your enemies into your hands. I mean, there's a moment or a place in time where that is helpful for the people to believe, even if it's not true. Right. It's a helpful depiction. And yeah,
0: right. I mean, yeah, this hi- people, people write history to make themselves look good. Generally. And-
1: <laughs> <laughs> Typically what's that saying? Typically, right. Yeah. They made
0: themselves look really good. I mean, then God, that God's the most powerful God and you better not mess with him. Cause he's, you know, he's going to use us to, destroy you and yeah. so yeah. anyways on the uh we'll, we'll move on but uh, just one comment i mean i'm a i'm a christian universalist so okay. i think there's a really really good case that jesus never did teach hell and do, the, the eternal punishment sure. and sure and uh and book uh, really gets into the the greek huh. of, of those terms sure all the terms for hell gehenna, gehenna, gehenna hades and Tartarus and then and then uh, Ionis Colossus eternal punishment so those are those are in my mind those are totally mistranslated Mm -hmm,
1: (laughs) mm -hmm.
0: and there's evidence for it so right right um, all right so let's move on how about marriage in the bible this is a really interesting topic Right. So why should we revisit the concept of marriage in the Bible? Isn't, isn't it, isn't it straightforward? You've already answered that a little bit, but maybe go into more depth to that.
1: Yeah, no, I really appreciate that question because so many people think that it is right. Yeah. Um, I'll say that one of the things that I've discovered is helpful to talk about is um, this, this label, uh, biblical marriage. Mm -hmm. So as a kind of a preface to the whole conversation about this, why should we reconsider? Because um, when I, you know, um, what is it that people think a biblical marriage will look like? And and I ask people to think through that for themselves. What do you think that means? If Even if you don't use the label, for people who use the label, what does a biblical marriage look like? And they usually say, right? It's between a man and a woman who have children. Uh, there's no divorcing you know mm-hmm. end of right. you know this is it and the thing is there are four passages in the bible um two from the hebrew bible actually two from genesis one from matthew and one from ephesians that people draw from to support this particular
2: mm-hmm.
1: rendering this particular idea so in the book that I've written, I actually go into de- into some depth in looking at the context of those four passages and show how those passages themselves are not actually endorsing the belief that people think it's endorsing. But then I also, in the other two sections of the book, I look at what do marriages actually look like in the Bible in both Testaments? And then what are some other conversations that we should be including in this idea of Biblical marriage or marriage according to the Bible. Because if people today do want to say that they are espousing what God intended or Mm -hmm. that they're espousing a biblical idea. Mm -hmm. And so at the end of the day, when people say they want, they think that a biblical marriage is between a man and a woman, they're committed to each other, yada, yada. One of the things I like to say back is, you know, there isn't an example in the either testament, primary Mm -hmm. testament of the Christian Bible that that espouses two equals Mm
2: -hmm.
1: will willingly engaging Mm -hmm. in something out of love. That is not a biblical example, right? There is not a biblical example that says that. So I am fine with people wanting that, but that's not biblical. So if we have to only embrace something that's biblical, then you got to get rid of that.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, what what marriage is just contracts between the men? I mean exactly.
1: Exactly. And that's why we need to reconsider what marriage is in the Bible. It's not what people want it to be or desire today. And I think that's okay and good that we don't want to see women as property.
0: Well, that's true. I mean, there's a lot of things in the Bible that I mean they the the Bible didn't call for exactly. the abolition of slavery it exactly. might have humanized it a bit in the new right. testament oh, wow. but we keep, we finally figured out we really should abolish slavery <laughs> even though it wasn't biblical i mean you know that's you know that's people don't realize that th- these things they just think that oh well you know they don't think hard, they don't think about them in a way that really uh understands what what's going on uh, in, in the original mind of the people who are actually writing these texts, exactly, you know, exactly, right. so, yeah. so, okay. Well, how about some, some, what are some of the surprising things that you discovered about marriage when you started looking at this?
1: Yeah. Well, and I did already touch on one of them, but I want to go back to it just briefly because, yeah. because it, when I started to think through, so the issue of, there is no name, there isn't a separate noun for wife as compared to woman or for husband as compared to man. That's not entirely true, but for the sake of our conversation, it it is. There, there are two nouns actually for husband, but they both mean Lord or master. So, yeah, so that's, you know, we could say that if you want, but it's still not the kind of relationship most people today want.
2: Right. Right. right.
1: Um, So, but what, what, what I, the reason I wanted to circle back is When I started rereading scripture, removing or replacing all of those nouns and verbs, Mm -hmm. it really started to to like build up and just kind of it was just, you know, I started reading through Genesis and just said man and woman instead of husband and wife and take, because it's a man, as you know, Michael, a man takes a woman for himself, purchases her, or just takes her.
2: Right.
1: And so I started reading through scripture that way, and it just, it's like, it's so extensive it is so much it's just it shifts the way you read these dynamics and it's a big deal to me as a as a lover of texts to 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 honor as we were saying before what it's really saying um but you know i think what more than i mean that was a big deal that was a really big deal actually um to me. But then even more than that was when I just sat down and let myself be honest about what Paul and Jesus do and do not say. That is a game changer. It's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's a game changer. What does Jesus actually say about marriage?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: A stunningly small amount, first of all.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: He doesn't ever speak positively about it. The one thing he does say about people in marriages, no, the two things, one is it's fine to leave them to follow him. Mm -hmm. And the other is what we see in Matthew 19. It's also the parallel stories. It shows up a couple other times, one other Mm -hmm. time in Matthew five, but also Mm -hmm. in Mark. But when Jesus talks about marriages, he also uses the Hebrew Bible paradigm, which is Mm -hmm. a man purchases a woman and the way A man shows that this woman is his is by having sex with her. Mm -hmm. It's very uh, territorial. It's Mm -hmm. very, the way we know these two are a pair is he had sex with her. Mm -hmm. Sex in the Bible is talked about as very transactional, and it is primarily a thing a man does to a woman. Mm -hmm. And then Jesus talks in that passage, he's approached by some Pharisees about which reason for divorce he's okay right. with right and as and one of the things that was surprising to me so you may have been well informed on these things but I wasn't until I started looking mm-hmm. into this I wasn't aware that Jesus is for the first couple of verses in that exchange in Matthew 19 it starts in verse 3 and it goes through verse 12. when people quote from it for biblical marriage they quote verses four to six
2: mm-hmm.
1: so they're not even taught so anyway so they, they approach him and they say, which reason are you okay with? Well, what Jesus is saying is he's just trotting out the conversation that rabbis and Jews were having. Yeah, there was already. a
0: debate going on.
1: He's about... not saying anything new yet, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. He's trotting out what's already established. He's not establishing these claims. He's referencing claims that Jews were already mm-hmm. making. The only thing that he says that's new is the part about eunuchs in verse 12. Mm-hmm. And so they're going, he's going back and forth with the Pharisees. He says one thing he's like, yeah, well then what about, why did Moses give a certificate of divorce? And he says, well, because of this, but again, all of this is still pre-established banter. Mm -hmm. And then he says, you know, the the disciples are like, well, if that's the case, it's better not to marry to begin with. And he does not talk them off their ledge. He says, Mm. that's right. Anyone who can handle it. Here's the story. Some men, Were born eunuchs, some men created, some choose to make themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom. Anyone who can handle it do likewise. And what's interesting is the church tradition has interpreted that saying about eunuchs as meaning a reference to celibacy.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: There is not a single eunuch who is celibate. (laughs) Not in the first century. That is not why you make yourself a eunuch either. all right women loved knowing that the man was a eunuch because it was great birth control but they could mm-hmm. still have sex they could mm-hmm. still have intimacy they could mm-hmm. both still have pleasure
0: mm-hmm.
1: becoming a eunuch is not about celibacy it's really more about something else
0: interesting okay I've never heard that it's one really more about procreation uh, all right okay yeah. well y- you mentioned the you know the passage about where they're they're debating about divorce mm-hmm. and and from my research, there was a there was a debate going on. It was like, okay, can you just divorce for any any reason at all? Any right. matter divorce, it's called, or you know, do you have to have a good reason? And and yeah. the way I read it is Jesus says, No, you have to have a good reason. You can't just, you know, throw throw women out the door. I mean <laughs> just because
1: she burned dinner last night. Yeah. Right,
0: yeah, exactly. Right. So he, he he is taking a side, but like you said, he's he's not uh uh, he, he's taking a side that's already that was already there, and he's mm-hmm. making it, and and he's actually making giving women more rights in one mm-hmm. sense because mm-hmm. it's like, hey, you know, it, you're not you're not supposed to be treated like property. You don't treat women like prop property. Just you know, well, uh, to a certain degree. But, but yeah. he's but he's not he's not also not just saying uh, like most conservatives say. Oh, there's only one reason for divorce, and that's mm-hmm. Uh, adultery or whatever. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. um, uh, Ann Nyland actually has a lot of good commentary on those passages that oh, were very good to, to learn. Yeah. But,
1: good. Um, I, I do want to say one thing about that as well. Yeah, sure. And and that is even in the midst of that, and I think you're right. I think you're right to point out that he is, he is trying to, like, I think his stance is much more uh, humane, right? Yeah, no, right. you don't get to just divorce your yeah. woman and move on, right? right. I agree with you. But even in the midst of that whole conversation, which is a conversation between men, right, he still endorses the biblical idea that the reason that you can't divorce, the reason divorcing is a problem, is because one or both members of the former marriage are going to go marry other people, which means you'll have sex with other people. Right, right. The whole conversation about marriage in the Bible is focused around centered around sex and who you're having it with right and it's really it is really still about the woman's body and territory yeah it really is
0: right right no that i i i um i understand that that Mm -hmm. there's Mm -hmm. there's things that um we read in the bible that are really you you wonder why you you know, you wonder why, why didn't Jesus address slavery? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) He never talked about homosexuality either. He never talked about, there's a lot of things he didn't talk about. Mm -hmm. And so you, you, you realize that, wait a minute, we we can't just rely on these texts to help us form
1: an ethic. Exactly. We
0: have to go beyond them. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. Use them and we can gain some insight but we have to go beyond. And so that's
1: we do. And you know, honestly, Michaels, there there were several layers for me in writing this 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 latest book, but also I was invited to be on a panel recently uh, with a bunch of Hebrew Bible and Dead Sea Scroll scholars talking about slavery in the Bible. And so I was trying to present some of what's said in the Newer Testament on slavery. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Newer Testament early Christianity. And I was surprised because there's a certain amount of um, just letting things be. And I, or some of the sayings of Jesus, I haven't really interrogated much, you know, because I haven't needed to or wanted to, but you know, even Jesus though, I agree with you. He doesn't ever just take on the issue of slavery and say it's okay, Mm -hmm. or it's not, but he also uses the, the setting of slavery or of, of enslavement in several of his stories or parables. And, Sometimes he, I think he's critiquing what happens to people, but sometimes, like in the example of what people think of as the five wise and five foolish bridesmaids, yeah. uh, one of my colleagues, Mitzi Smith, um, wrote a piece on this story. And you know she points out that these aren't just bridesmaids. These are probably concubines being given to the man as a part of the wedding package. Oh, okay. And yeah. so they're more enslaved women. Right. And what the language, so most of us are taught to focus on being prepared. That story mm-hmm. is about being yeah. prepared. right? But what, what we're not paying attention to is the cruelty in expecting people to always be, on ready to go any time of day or night and Mm -hmm. the story itself indicates it's really late into the night before he gets there and yes some of the people were not prepared and some were blah 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 but when you look at when you take a step back and you look at the language here the context here is of the exploitation of humans and this Mm -hmm. unjust expectation of always serving, always being ready to serve. And what we, you know, we can see parallels to that in terms of slavery on this continent and the way, you know, working before dawn and past dusk and all these different things, you know, and there's a story where Jesus uses the Punishment that might be delivered to a bad slave, to a, a disobedient slave, he uses that to scare people. So mm-hmm. even some of Jesus's own words mm-hmm. are marred by him not being conscientious of yeah. the 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 very thorough presence of enslavement and how he's not challenging it. He's actually using those scenarios at right. times to to make to make a point and that's unsettling to me to yeah, think about Jesus yeah, not being conscientious yeah. of that.
0: <laughs> <Right>. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's yeah, normal. yeah. I, I it's understand a normal what thing, you're saying. It was right? that was that was the culture and exactly the, and the examples of the culture. Exactly. And so did and, Paul
1: in his writings. Yeah. And I think that's so, an important right. thing to yeah. know. You know yeah. pay attention they, to but it, but
0: Paul did say there is no slave or free he in Christ, did. and he so did. there was an opening up. Okay, you know, let's treat these people like we're all in Christ, we're all equal, you know. <laughs> he
1: did say that but there was and some then, of
0: that too. So there was, yeah. and then in the literal
1: yeah. next chapter, he then reverts back to talking about enslaved and free in a theological way, yeah. referring to Sarah and Hagar and their right. children. Yeah. And he t- calls followers of Christ, slaves of Christ, and we yeah. are enslaved to God and enslaved. Right. To God. So even, even, yeah. you know, again, I think it's an element of entitlement or just not awareness of the, the extent to which yeah. this language is actually problematic. Right. Um, and people over the centuries have found ways to accommodate it. Right. Of course I'm a slave to Christ. I'm proud of that, you know, or yeah. whatever. Right. I'm like, right.
0: mm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's let's say let's ask one other question about you. We're differentiating this. What says in the Old Testament and, and you call the Newer Testament? Is there any difference? I mean, does the Newer Testament make any switches from from the the view of marriage in the Old Testament, or is it pretty much the same?
1: Yeah, I think that it is very much the same. Okay. And in fact, if anything, Jesus and Paul are quite anti-marriage mm-hmm. yeah like at all so he's you know there you know paul okay well, so he was anticipating the return yeah. of christ any day but he says he prefers that you not marry if you can help yeah him.
0: right there yeah actually, but there is a there is a uh uh scholarly theory that paul was actually married before and he's just not married now That 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 most a lot of people say hey you know like Um, good jews always got married
1: right right (laughs) always so So anyway where does that leave jesus right but
0: jesus is like well yeah where does that leave jesus he was still relatively young i don't know he was he knew he was gonna risk his life and didn't, didn't he just you know he wanted to to Not have a family and harm their family, you know. Whatever, you know. You could you could come up with a lot of reasons, but that that is that is interesting.
1: Well, people really are very uncomfortable considering Jesus actually having had sex. Oh, I know. That's yeah. They they freak out with that. Yeah, Yeah.
0: that's freak. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Right. So, (laughs) what when they shouldn't be? (laughs) And you know. So okay, Um, let's let's think about one other thing. when you look at marriage, men and women relationships, the way they're described in the Bible, um, and you and you look at their, the culture and the original meanings of the text is, is there anything redeeming about that, that we can help mm-hmm. inform an ethic on marriage and relationships today?
1: I, you know, I gave this question and I appreciate you giving them ahead of time. I gave it a lot of thought because I, I would like to be able to find something like that. And I really just don't. That's Mm -hmm. the thing. I, you know, people say, Oh, a lot of these couples stayed together, you know, and there's something really important about patience and perseverance in a relationship and working Mm -hmm. through and sticking Mm -hmm. it out. I absolutely Mm -hmm. agree with that. But I don't, I'm not a big fan of saying, well look, these couple these biblical couples stuck together through their whole lives because it was a different time and place and different reasons and different like what were their options. And actually a rabbi also pointed out this little fun little loophole if you will that after Abraham almost sacrifices Isaac, Sarah is she's not involved in that story, but also she leaves him. <laughs> <laughs> She is elsewhere when she dies. He has to go to her pl- no, where I, she was living. No, the,
0: she, it's amazing. People will totally ignore stuff like that. Yes. Yes. And, so, and the fact that they there were two other women involved in the right? family. Right. Mean-
1: well, when she left, he had, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so what is it that I think in terms of, you know, I, I think it's a good, like, I keep posting things on Facebook or whatever about like, this is what marriage is in the Bible. And, and like these really honest, kind people like, but what about like you know forgiveness and listening i'm like yeah those are good i like those it's not biblical it's mm-hmm. we're not given that example in the bible and so i think back to your earlier comment we need to go beyond and i think i really want to encourage people to not need the bible to affirm something in order for it to be okay today right because we, it affirms a lot of things that we have deemed, as you said earlier, that we have decided is no longer good, and it doesn't affirm a lot of really good things that we've discovered about mm-hmm. human relationships. Mm-hmm. The passage in First Corinthians thirteen, the love chapter, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of people have that read at their wedding ceremony. Mm-hmm. Um, I know my brother did and mm-hmm. I one of my brothers, and it's beautiful. I also have a problem with some of it because love doesn't actually bear all things. It says no to some abuse, for instance. Um, but that's not addressed to a couple, that's addressed to the community.
0: Well, yeah, that's a good point. That's really not for a marriage. It's not. <laughs> it's just it's for a community of people. This is exactly. the way you love. You exactly it's a, it's a good teaching, but it's not in the Context of marriage, exactly right.
1: Is there some stuff there we can work with? Absolutely. So, like, so that's the thing. It's like the stuff that in the Bible that's talking about marriage is almost entirely not useful.
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah. But
1: I think we need to start there.
0: Yeah. The only thing I think is really the most useful is that is that Jesus I think came out came out strong against casual divorce.
1: I think that's very useful too. Yeah,
0: (laughs) I I like that. I think that was one of the main things that I got out. so it's like, no, no, you can't just do that, you know, You, you and, and also the equality of women. I mean, if you get into it, there were women leaders in the church.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. Bible translators changed um, words, uh, you know, Junius, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Junia was an mm-hmm. apostle, but they changed it to Junius. Right, uh,
1: right. And uh, Phoebe is Phoebe- a deacon.
0: Phoebe was actually a presiding in officer. officer in, in the, the church. church. They they, yeah. they called it a, and they, you know, it was actually a, a name for a leader a, who presided over a group who led a group, but they changed it to what helper or deacon or servant. something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Servant. Right. Yeah. So there's all that stuff that they changed. So, so I think that's probably the, the, the main thing that I see is, 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 is more, humanizing and uh, equalizing uh, women and, and being against um, at least casual divorce. That's Mm -hmm. destructive. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: But Mm -hmm. like you said, there's still a lot of gaps. I mean, you know, and that's why we need to go beyond and we can use some of the principles of the love ethic, I think, to go Mm -hmm. beyond. Mm -hmm. I think so too. And,
1: you know, when you reference women in leadership, you know, I, I, when I, I try to sh- ask my students in Newer Testament intros to look at, you know there are there are, the genuine Paul doesn't even really seem to know any th- they haven't established roles yet or labels for roles yet. And so he talks about gifts. The Spirit gives gifts as God right. chooses. Use it. There's yeah. no gendered language. There's no, these no. are men's gifts. These are right. women. Nope, right. none of that, right? No. But we do get later on. So things are starting to be established and settled in. So we want to start defining roles. And that's when we start assuming it's only going to be men. So asking people to think through, we're all choosing which passages we turn to. We're all mm-hmm. choosing which one we're going to privilege over the other. When it comes to Paul's writings, Paul has very egalitarian advice. That's the one thing we didn't talk about. He does have some egalitarian advice about marriage when he talks about sex. He mm-hmm. does talk about you—you you don't withhold from each other, and you right. kind of belong to each other. Women, I think women that's have a lovely. right
0: to it as well. I, yeah, I think right.
1: there's something lovely about that. You know. Yeah.
0: Right. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and then later, you have women are to submit to their husbands entirely. Like those are two different yes. ways of seeing this relationship. And Let's it, be honest—that they're yes. both in there, right? And why yeah. don't you, you know, think about why you've chosen the lens you'd have, why you've chosen that this one is stronger than this one or that right. this one trumps the other. Why? And just that's a that's a conversation, yeah. an important conversation yeah. to have about the way we all cherry pick. Yeah. Right. No,
0: it's true. And we don't get into like some of the, the there's some really interesting theories like and I think it's the first Corinthians one where Paul says, you know, women should be silent. Um, there's two pre- prevailing theories. One is that actually was that that actually was inserted by a later copyist because it doesn't fit, and then the other one is actually Ann Nyland says wait actually Paul is just quoting his uh, adversaries and then saying utter rubbish. They take that word out in the Greek, and you know, basically saying bullshit.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> I,
0: I don't know which one is right, but th- th- there th- there are some good reasons to reject those those passages that talk about you know women should be silent because, like you said, that's not. It contradicts other things that Paul says.
1: Right. Yeah. And it's and it's really fascinating to me how complex that particular passage is that you've just yeah. referenced. And right. it's in first Corinthians eleven, um, yeah. two to sixteen. And I I've actually published an article on that. And I actually, in my book, permission okay. granted, have a particular stance that's similar to Nyland's, it sounds like. Okay. And then I had to reconsider a book written by uh Anne Wire called The Corinthian Women Prophets. Mm. And she She looks at whether or not that was, you know, an insertion, the passage you're talking about, the 33 to 36. And it's very complicated. textually speaking, she has done amazing work. If anyone is really interested in getting to the bottom, I think her work is essential. What's her name? Antoinette Clark Wire.
2: Okay.
1: uh, The Corinthian Women Prophets. The thing is, it's very academic. It is difficult to sort through. And, but her point is... Paul has egalitarian moments, but he's also kind of annoyed with the female prophets in Corinth and his sexism comes back out. Yeah. And so however you want to deal with it, I think it's important to note that like many of us, we might have some ideals and then when we start to see them playing out, we don't like the way they play out or we, you know, whatever. And he's human and he's, he kind of backslides, I think a little bit on his egalitarian stance. I
0: mean, he, I mean, he, he even claimed that Peter backslides. Right, right, right. Peter comes back. <laughs> by, Paul come back. <laughs> by, right? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's just that you know, these people are still human beings, Humans. and they're and they're and they're in a vastly different culture than we are exactly. in. Exactly. I mean, and exactly. incredibly different. Yeah. So, all right. Well, this has been a great conversation, yes, Jennifer. I appreciate you. you joining us. Thank you and, for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, so what's what's your URL for your your website where people can find your books and and yeah. I, and you also have some great videos, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> I want to promote. I appreciate but,
1: that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. My website is my full name. So Jennifer with two Ns, I F-E-R Grace Bird. Okay. It's just for dot dot com. Dot com. Yeah. And I, ha- I right. do. I have a YouTube channel and I have a bunch of, I have a video series actually that I created for communities of faith. I had
2: mm-hmm.
1: United Methodists and Presbyterians in mind um, to try to help people work through the biblical passages that are related to marriage in the Bible. Oh, okay. Kind of the content of my book essentially fleshes it out even farther. But for right. people who want to sit down and have conversations about, Okay, I'm fine with whoever wants to marry can marry, but I don't know what to do with the Bible. I know that I think the Bible says these things, you know, like kind of reconciling right. your know, personal conviction and what to do. So that's what that series is is about, and it's trying. I'm trying to help people do that, and you can find that on my website. Do
0: you also. do you get into the uh, polygamy and all that, that concubinage and all that stuff? Not really. Um,
1: okay. I, I mean. Yeah, I don't. It's that's an interesting question because it's hard to it's hard to address that well. Um, right.
0: Yep. That's a whole nother realm. It is. People totally ignore. It
1: is. These women are purchased purely for sex. What? <laughs> I mean, and there's you
0: know, I mean or uh, for
1: allegiances between groups of people or right, whatever.
0: Right. Right. And it's and and oh there's all kinds of things that the adultery is a different definition for men than exactly. women, etc. You know, exactly. Right? <laughs> it's like, yeah, well, you know, people just don't even pick up on this stuff, but it's right. there, you know. Yeah. So I'm really excited uh to uh I'm looking forward to your book. Now, when is it going to come out? The one marriage <laughs> not, in the Bible? What do the text say? When does that come out?
1: Not until November at this November, point. November. A, okay. Yeah, so still a
0: ways to go. But folks, go to Jennifer's website, jennifergracebird.com. Lots of videos on, on this topic. And uh, she's she's an excellent teacher and you can really learn a lot from her. So Jennifer, Thank thanks for joining us on the Spiritual Brew Pub. Uh, I was drinking coffee this morning, but in the evenings, sometimes we have beer over here, I'm so sure. <laughs> <laughs> or wine. Uh-huh. So, uh, but um, I would love to have you on again when the book comes out, and Thank and you. have a chance to read it and everything. We can go more in depth. So maybe I'd we'll plan to. for that in the in the fall.
1: I'd love to. Thank you.
0: Okay. All right. Thanks, Jennifer. Um, folks, uh, thanks for joining us again on the Spiritual Brew Pub. Enjoy responsibly.